Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by PlanScope. PlanScope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price out new estimates and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using PlanScope to do my estimates and manage my projects and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at planscope.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 78 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Curtis McHale. Hello. Eric Davis. Hi. Reuben Lerner. Hi there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about training and coaching. So just to start this off, how many of you guys have done much uh, training or coaching? Well, I do. uh, Like I run a blog that does coaching or training all the time for WordPress stuff, and then I do it with clients as well. Mm -hmm. I I do it ton of training. I mean, probably two to four days a week is a good estimate um, where I go to companies and I train them in person. And then I've done a fair amount of coaching as well, where I go to companies and I sort of move around and sit with their people and do pair programming and look over their shoulder. Yeah, I've done a fair bit. I haven't done like on-site, stand up in front of people kind of training, except maybe at users groups. But uh, I've done a, a bunch of coaching. I've had Several people come to me and, you know, can you sit down and help solve this problem? Or can you sit down and, you know, basically teach me these things that I don't understand? And I just get on and kind of pair program with them over the Internet to do coaching. I've done stuff at local user groups as well, um, whether teaching really basic stuff or I was sitting in one my friend was teaching and there's a very, very basic user. So I kind of took over their questions so they could continue on the advanced topics as well. Most of my training is online stuff that I provide. Mm hmm. I'm kind of interested in, I know Reuven's done some traveling to do like in-person training for a whole bunch of programmers at once. How does that work? Because I I really haven't done that. I'm a little bit interested in it. Just see how that all, you know, how you get those jobs and how you work it out so that you can teach people, like what kind of preparation you do and things. Let's see. the train When I do in-person training, and that's actually, I guess, all the training that I've done so far has been in-person, virtually all of it that I've done over the last few years has been through a a training company here in Israel that also has branches in Europe and China. So uh, basically uh, they'll call me and they'll say, Hey, such and such a company wants to have an intro Python course, an intro Postgres course, something like that. They have the following requirements. Does that fit into our regular syllabus? Is there extra development involved? What do you need to do on that? Uh, Once we figure that out, they do the price quote. They come back to me. They tell me, okay, everything's all right. It's going to be two days, three days, four days, whatever it is. Uh, And then we schedule dates. Uh, And then basically I just show up. Uh, I I show up. I used to do this on my own too. Uh, And I sometimes do it on my own without this training company, although they get very annoyed by that for obvious reasons. So I try to keep it to a a minimum just because I really don't want to tick them off too much. And 
the big surprise for me with this training company was, so the first time I was going to work for them, they called me up about a week in advance, and they said, so where are your slides? I said, what do you mean, where are my slides? They said, well, obviously, we're going to print up a book and give the slides printed to the company that you're doing the training at, and so in order to print it in time, you have to give it to us. And I'm a really last-minute kind of guy, uh, if you hadn't figured that out already. And so it's not unusual for me to be sort of editing and finishing slides on the train on the way to give the lecture. So this forces me to be a little more organized and do things in advance. And so nowadays I'm used to having to give in the slides, say, we can advance. But that's really been the, the big change for me from having lots of slides and working with them to printing them out in advance. And then I show up and I teach. Uh, you know, we take breaks during the day, like one or two breaks in the morning, one or two breaks in the afternoon, break for lunch, and then I go home. <laughs> Yep. Go home, meaning you fly halfway around the world, right? <laughs> well, it's so far we haven't managed to do any training in Europe. So it's just been two courses that I did in Beijing, uh, both actually at the same company, uh, one Ruby course and one Python course. So the first time I went to Beijing, uh, I was talking to them all the time and you know, getting all the directions and this is where you go. And I had to get to the hotel myself, but then they met me the first morning at the hotel and we went together to the client's office, which was a disaster in and of itself because I actually had checked Google Maps and knew it was a 10-minute walk. And the Chinese woman who met me there tried to convince me or convince me that we should take a taxi and we ended up getting there about half an hour late. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I showed her how we could walk. And she was like, oh, my God, how did you figure this out? Uh, Google Maps. So the second time that I went to Beijing, no one met me. <laughs> no one did anything. Basically, it was just like showing up at a client in Israel. Just, you know, we expect you there at 9 a.m. And so I showed up and I started teaching, which was a little strange, but it worked out. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, I guess the, the rate is determined, the, the rate that you get is determined by the company that books you. Is that... So, right. So, so there, there are different ways to play this. I mean, in general, when I go through this company, so they negotiate some sort of rate with the, the, the company that's do, that ordered the training. I actually have very little idea how much they're charging, except when they accidentally see, see me on email, I'm probably not supposed to see. see? Um, and I've negotiated a rate with them that I get. So, uh, and I expect that there is you know, some disconnect between, I mean, I know that there's some disconnect between what they're getting, what I'm getting. And the advantage of going through a company as opposed to doing it myself, which I had done for years, is they just have a whole bunch of full-time marketing people and salespeople, and they have their tentacles in every high-tech company in Israel. So two months ago, I guess more, like three, four months ago, I had a client where I'd been going on-site twice a week. And they said, you know, we were having you work with our new employees, and we know you're going to the U.S., so why don't we just take three months off, four months off, and we'll restart this in the fall. And I said, that's fine, but, you know, two days a week – on an ongoing basis, I need to fill that sometime. So I called the training company. I said, can you fill 12 days in the next two months? And within 24 hours, we had filled those days. And there's no way I could have done that on my own. Oh, nice. That makes sense. Yeah, for me, I actually forgot to mention, but I'm teaching at the local technical college, the local in Vancouver, uh, after Christmas. And they just told me my hourly rate, which was good. Still about 90% of what I normally make, which was much more than I thought. But they uh, also, they pay you an extra hour, an hour, extra hour a day for your first course because I figure you're new and it's going to take longer. Now, take longer to prepare or take longer to teach? Take longer to prepare. They just figure you're going to do a bunch of extra work you won't have to do the first, like the second time you teach the course. And, and I'm teaching like a totally new course that has never been developed uh, at their facility at all. So they have no old syllabus. They have nothing. Do, do they own your curriculum? Um, I haven't read the contract, actually. In, in my case, <laughs> definitely not. 
definitely, I mean, I definitely own my material, and I've made that clear from the beginning. And, and it's funny, sometimes when I'm not available to teach, they'll say, well, someone really wants a course during such and such a week or such and such a month, and you're not available, so would you please give us permission for that lecture to use your slides? And my, my answer is always, sure, here you go, but I promise you that they won't be able to use them. Because it's so attuned to my teaching style and to, so attuned to how I do things, which involves a huge number of live demos, uh-huh. that I just find it very, very hard to believe that they would actually want to use my slides. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Now, with the college, I'm, I'm kind of curious how that works. Do they just uh, contract you for a semester? or No, it's more of a modular because it's a technical college. So my uh-huh. next course, uh, I teach like a Thursday, Friday, uh, Sunday, Monday. Um, or sorry, Monday, Tuesday. And so I'm just in for that one module. And in their advanced program, there's four modules. I'm teaching three of them. Oh, okay. and so the next, the one after that, I'm in for like a Friday, a Friday, Saturday, Friday evening and Saturday for mm-hmm. like a couple weeks running. And then I can't remember the other time frame or the next one, but it's something like that as well. So if these are weekend courses, Curtis, I, I assume that means these are professionals as opposed to actual regular college students. Uh, the first one in January is regular college students, which is why it's the Thursday, Friday. The next one is for kind of everyone, professionals, and for the college students. So we're just assuming a very similar course, but we're assuming a different level of knowledge. And then the nat- the third one I'm teaching is for regular college students again, and is a different kind of a different take on advance of doing e-commerce in the first two, uh, assuming different levels of knowledge for each one. And the second one is more advanced WordPress stuff, and then uh, even possibly another one or we're doing more business stuff, and so that would be for the students, so they could uh, run a freelance agency or just not be dumb when they go start their jobs out. Wow. Did they uh, approach you, or did you approach them? Um, my friend already taught there, and they were looking for someone to do e-commerce, and then they came and saw me present uh, in Vancouver, actually, and asked me after. Oh. I had no idea I was getting evaluated or anything, and they watched me present that, and I think one other thing before uh, off a video online, and so... And then after my presentation two weekends ago at a, at the WordCamp, they I said, hey, we were thinking about another course, and your, t- your talk was very similar to it. Would you be willing to do that one as well? So it might be like four courses now. I've, I've definitely found that speaking at conferences is great for business in general, and particularly for training, because you've got a large audience of people who are interested in the subject, and they're like, oh, that person could actually put two words together. Well, I think they might be able to come to my company and help me out. Yeah. So... Uh... Have you guys done much training online? Yes. No, but I keep I keep thinking about it and talking about it. And I did one thing for a client that was kind of like I've I've worked with them for a couple of years at that point, and they they wanted their team to learn about kind of a specific topic, and then um, I did like a one maybe two hour like webinar kind of open question and answer thing for them. Now that we mentioned webinars. I'm actually doing one tomorrow uh, for iThemes. Basically, off my book, I talked to the owner of that in an interview, and we talked about webinars and some other stuff, and then he wanted me to talk about doing mastermind groups, because um, I've started one. So I'm doing that tomorrow. I'll be doing training and Q&A there. Well, when, when you guys talk about online training, I mean, there are recorded videos where people just sort of download and watch the videos. There are live sessions. It could be even live video and audio sessions. And then, of course, there's just sort of... Uh, mixes of those with say forums and discussion groups and so forth so which which have you guys done so i've done recorded videos and then i guess i'm doing a live webinar tomorrow um and i have a forum but no one ever uses it so we don't even have to count that 
Yeah, and I've done I've been doing Rails ramp up, which is kind of a blend of all of that. So there are the recorded videos, and then on top of that, I also do I do live sessions every week. Those are two hours a, a piece. Which, if you consider, because I've also done, like I said, kind of the pair programming thing, and I um, I charge that out. I'm actually going to raise my coaching rate uh, to $200 an hour. But um, anyway, so I've been doing that as well. And if you consider my coaching rate versus these classes, you actually get a much better deal on my time. And you get all of your questions answered and things like that as well. But uh, the cool thing is is that, so, so my course... Uh, Curtis just posted in the chat that numbers are always good to hear, so I'll, I'll put this out there. I really don't care. So Rails ramp up costs this time around it costs fifteen hundred dollars. Um, the next time I do it, it's going to start in um, in the beginning of October, and uh, the whole idea is to get people to the point where they can kind of do junior developer, you know, Rails stuff. And I'm going to expand it to three months. And basically the the reason is, is because I've been looking at these boot camps that are out there and I feel like people shouldn't, shouldn't have to move or do any of that crazy stuff in order to go learn rails unless they want the full immersion experience. And so, uh, anyway, I'm putting it together and I, I pre-prepare all of the information, all of the stuff I've been doing for the, the live presentations, but I'm going to move more into a Q and a format and, uh, you know, just answer questions, do live demos. Um, most people are pretty understanding if you screw something up on a live demo. So if you have a typo or, you know, you hit an error that's kind of dumb or something every once in a while. But uh, well, and even seeing your, seeing your thought process to figure that out is a big thing, right? For someone who's new and doesn't have those thought processes built in, because you'll jump to some, sometimes right to the solution immediately because of past experience with that error, whereas the other person would be like, I have no idea where to even start. Yeah, there's I, I, there's I, definitely I, that. I, I I totally tout that as like an important thing in that in what I do when I train. That every exercise that I give, I give them obviously a while to do it, and then I solve the exercise step by step in front of them, live coding it. And I want them not only to see sort of the way that you attack the language and the way that you think about it in terms of data structures and the way it works, but also the thought process. This is how you think in another language. Because I've seen, in particular, I, a lot of the training classes that I give are people who come from C++ or Java. And, I mean, you can teach them Ruby or Python pretty easily, at least in terms of the syntax. But it's the differences in, in style and the difference in uh, sort of development process that totally floors them again and again. And seeing someone do that in front of them, I think, is pretty valuable. Yeah, the other part of that is uh, I'll whip out the debugger or something. Because I'm like, I, I, I don't know where I made the mistake. And stuff like that also really seems to pay off for people, especially when they're they're new and they're going to make mistakes. It's like, oh, this is how you, you know, unmake your mistake. But yeah, I'd use GoToMeeting for my live training. Um, I, I use Skype when I'm doing one-on-one stuff, and I just usually share a screen unless I absolutely need to type stuff. And then I'll either share my screen and check out the code, or I'll use something like Tmux. So... You know, just it, it's it's really kind of fun to be able to sit down and, and chat with people who are somewhere else in the world and see their problems and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd like to be able to do more of that one-on-one training with people. But it seems, at least in in the WordPress field, there's a lot less people that are even interested in pair programming at all. Uh, it's very, yeah, it just most people don't do it. When you talk about it, people wonder what it is and why we would do that. Well, I, I mean, when I've done that sort of coaching slash pairing with people in person, we've never really called it that per se. 
but that's really what it was. I mean, sort of the best example was, I guess it was two or three years ago, I would go to a, a company twice a week, and they would sign up in advance for, like, slots. So, you know, everyone got a half hour, an hour long slot with me, and I would just run from office to office or cubicle to cubicle and sit down with a person and say, so what's your problem? And we would open the editor and work together. And it was great. Uh, but I, I think if I, if I had asked them, are you doing pair programming? They would say, no, what are you talking about? Yeah, there's definitely that. And, and I don't really call it pair programming when I'm talking to these clients. I mean, it's usually, well, we'll sit down and look at your code together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because that's really what we're doing. And, you know, I, I don't mind doing a code review. I don't mind doing a code review with them present. It really just depends on what the need is and where they're struggling. And it's always been interesting to me how how much that pays off. And, you know, um, this is something that I also offer as part of my online course. And it's, you know, it's, it's really nice to be able to just, you know, help people kind of get through whatever it is that's, that's hard because everybody struggles in a different place. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, um, so I provide videos, I do the online training, I do one-on-one stuff. Um, and, and that's kind of my approach to the quote unquote class. I, I think of it more of as a mentorship program than an actual class, but. I, I was going to say, um, I mean, I, I don't get involved in the financial negotiations with this uh, training company, but very often, in fact, I think twice today, today or yesterday, I can't even remember anymore, I had uh, phone calls with potential customers that wanted training. And every single time, so like the standard intro Python course that I teach, when we do is an open class, anyone who wants to sign up can come, is four days. And so every company says, oh, no, 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 no. Our people are really smart. They do not need all four days of training. <laughs> like, I, I tell you, every single company is convinced. It's like Lake Wobegon, right? Where all the children are above average. So, so we say, okay, fine. So we'll do it in three days. And truth be told, with experienced programmers, we can do it in three days. But twice in the last day, I've had conversations with companies where they were like, well, really, we really want to cut that in half. So one company wanted to do intro Python in two days. And I spent a long time trying to convince them this was just not reasonable, that either we'd have to ignore half the material or they wouldn't do exercises. So they said they'd go back and try to get budgeting and calendaring permission. And then I was talking to a company that wanted to do Git training, and they wanted to do it all in half a day. And they said, we just want to introduce people to the commands. You don't really have to go into detail about anything. And trying to get over this mindset of training is a waste of time, but we have to do it anyway, is very frustrating. Because my feeling is... Well, it's using, a, it's using it as an expense, not an investment, right? Uh-huh. Right, exactly, exactly. And so my point to these people was, listen, if all you want to do is teach people some commands, don't bring me in. <laughs> like, Just find some video online and show it to them or give them a cheat sheet. What you want me to be doing is sort of advance them faster than they can do themselves and give them insights and give them exercises that are really going to force them to understand and internalize what's going on. And I got sort of a grudging okay from them but i don't i don't think at least in one case i don't think they were totally convinced yeah that's interesting i i really haven't run into that so yeah that's totally the short-sightedness of managers and of people up top looking at training as an expense instead of an investment like i block out time for my own training because it is an investment for me to be able to do better work do more work do more complex things Mm -hmm. right right i mean i tell people that every time i teach a course even if it's the same course it's going to be better because I've spent time improving, like learning the material better myself and going into more depth and improving the slides, everything. Uh, even the exercises, just in the last year or two, I've dramatically improved the exercises, I think. And 
uh, I see the results. I see people understanding it better, and that's a great feeling for me. Yeah. So um, how do you structure your exercises? I, I offer exercises as part of my class too, but I'm kind of curious as to what you what you do with your approach to that. Uh, I mean, I generally give them a specification. Like I sort of, you know, I, I say out loud what I want, and then I write it down, you know, type it in. So sometimes it's something as easy. Like one of my favorite uh, initial exercises to do is to write a translator into Pig Latin. So, you know, the first one is get a word and produce the Pig Latin. Now, of course, most of my trainees in Israel, so I have to teach them Pig Latin as well. But that doesn't take too long. <laughs> and and they, they're not quite sure what to do with me when I say, really, like, eight-year-olds know how to do this very, very quickly in America. Uh, well, at least certain oddball eight-year-olds like yours truly was. But so I give them a description of what I want as output. Usually it's not too long or too precise. The, the idea is I want them to spend time working on the code, not worrying about have I done every last little thing that the spec requires. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I tend to do the same thing. So for the Rails class that I've been teaching, or I, I, can't, I hate calling it a class. For the mentorship program that I'm doing, I, I do the same thing. So we go over models first, um, just to kind of give people a baseline for what they're going to be uh, pulling most of their data from in their controllers. And, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, look, you know, don't worry about... Um, how the controller's going to get to this, don't worry about this, that, or the other. You know, I usually let them pick their project, so then I'll tell them, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, and set up the, the models for your class or for your, for your uh, application. And then the next one is views, and so then it's like, okay, you know, do the basic HTML layout for your view, and I give them just enough controller basics to be able to pull data in if they really want to. And, uh, you know, it just kind of builds on itself and it's, it's really focused on one aspect of whatever it is that I'm trying to teach them. Yeah. I, I love educationally the idea of letting people work on a project that they've chosen. And I totally think that's the right way to go. It makes it harder um, though. That's, that's the thing. I found that the looser I've been about such things, the more I've ended up doing just sort of technical support and strategizing and, and architecture rather than trying to focus on the, the topic at hand. I also used to say, come with whatever computer you want. Like, well, you can install Ruby really easily. I realized, oh my God, I spent way too much time then trying to install Ruby and Postgres and Rails and Gems and everything on each and every different computer that people had. It just burned way too much time. Yeah, I'm planning for mine since I'm teaching e-commerce is the first one and more from like a click it and install it point of view as opposed to heavy coding. And I'm going to have probably two projects and one, and you can choose your platform really. And one will be suited for one platform and one will be suited for another. So, yeah. But I'm going to have it like, here's your clients and here's what we're supposed to do. This is actually part of the reason why I'm going to be expanding from two months to three in Rails ramp up is because I want them to be able to build an application that I've kind of tailored toward what they want or, or what they need to learn and then have them build their own thing. Because I, I still feel like, if if they're working on something that they care about, then they're gonna they're gonna take the time, and if they're not, then they're gonna do basically the minimum I require of them, and they're not gonna get it. Uh, absolutely, I mean, it's it's. I would say it takes me probably about ten times of teaching a class until I feel comfortable with it, like that. I feel like it's really pretty solid, and even then, after that, you know, I'll go through more iterations, and a lot of that is trying to hit the sweet spot on the exercises that it's not too hard and not too easy but it also holds their interest. Yeah. But if they can do their own thing, that's like, you know, guaranteed to hold their interest. So that's, you know, that's amazing. 
Um, yeah. Chuck, when when you have people do exercises, is there do they just sort of run off and do it on their own, or are they asking you questions at, at the same time? So the software I'm using is called Instructure Canvas. It, it's Canvas. It's by a company called Instructure, which is based here in uh, uh, in Salt Lake City. And um, I actually used to work with a fair number of people that work there. But um, the nice thing about it is it has a built-in forum and a whole bunch of other features that uh, make it really handy for uh, doing a course like this. And um, so I just use those features and structure the course according to uh, what I think um, ought to be done. And uh, it's worked out real nicely. So what happens then is they actually then wind up participating in the course that way. So the the forum basically has pinned topics for each week's uh, videos. And then um, it also, on top of that, has questions from the students that are unpinned. And so all the questions for the students are below, and they're just sorted in order of, like, the most recent one. And it, it's worked out pretty nicely. So... You know, and then I've also gotten a few uh, questions via email and things. And what I tend to do with those is I will take out any identifying information about the application or the student who posed it, if they care. And what I wind up doing instead is I'll I'll put it into the form anyway and answer the question. And then I've I've spent a bit of time. One of my students is actually local, and so I've gone out of my way. T- I met him for lunch this last week. And we actually went over his app and worked on some stuff there, um, which was really nice. And then, you know, I've I've gotten on Skype with a couple of other students as well and, and figured that stuff out. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. And I think the, you know, the basically unlimited support is something that really makes a difference as well. Because when, when I learned a program, I did it. I did it with a, a mentor. I had some, I had, you know, a coworker that was doing Rails that could help me figure this stuff out. And so I felt like I wanted to offer that to my students as well. And anyway, that there's a lot there, but yeah. So when they have questions, um, they'll either hit me up on Skype or they'll put it into the form. That's good. Yeah. I mean, in person, when I'm teaching in person, obviously people can ask me questions and I, I, it depends on the group. Some groups are just very, very quiet and they ask nothing. And other groups are constantly asking me stuff while they're working on the, uh, the exercises. But I see that as right. I mean, that, that's why I'm there, so that when they get stuck, we can talk about things and they can try to understand it as opposed to just beating their heads against the wall. Yeah, well, and if the thing is, is like if you get stuck and you have somebody who can explain it, I mean, that's a couple hours that you don't have to spend on Stack Overflow getting the wrong information for the wrong Rails version or whatever. <laughs> that's right. I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but it, it really is the case. Um, and it's it's pretty common where I've had students go, well, I found this article on Stack Overflow, and I'm like, well, this class is focused on Rails 4, and uh, you're looking for something on Rails 2, and, you know, they, they really don't mix <laughs> in these instances. So, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I try to encourage students in my classes to work in pairs. I mean, I don't know if I call it pair programming, but, like, I guess it's effectively that, that when they're doing the exercises, they should try working in pairs. And that way, an extra pair of eyes, different experience might help out. Rarely do they actually do this. But when they do, it's always better. They, they advance more. They understand things better. It's like excellent educationally. Yeah, I think that's easier to do if you're in person. 
or the people are right. you know closely located with each other. But uh, yeah, it's not a bad idea, and and I should probably uh, encourage my students to do that as well. So if you're if you're doing online training, um, it, some of you guys mentioned that you've done videos, and I know we did one on screencast, uh, an episode on screencasting. But um, you know, is, does it change the equation at all if you're doing doing it for a student or somebody you're mentoring as opposed to uh, or a client even as opposed to somebody that's uh, uh, you know taking a class or, or or something like that or a screencast for the general populace, I guess. Yeah, I think it does, right? If you're like when I'm tailoring even client training, how to use their custom functions of their site, it's tailored direct or tailored directly to them. When it's for the wider world, like you have to either assume knowledge or assume they don't have it. So when I'm doing stuff uh, that starts off, you need to have WordPress installed, you know, preferably locally. I have to link back to the local one all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and same for the training stuff I did is. I went into it and talked to the client and talked to the, I think it's like a half dozen people or so that were in it um, and found out like what their experience was and like what they, what they wanted to learn from it. And so I was able to like skip over topics that they weren't going to use at all and kind of dig into like, you know, they, in this case, they had more questions about the process than most, most people would have more questions about the tools. And so it let me really customize the training and, like in my case, there was a lot of open Q and A, and so like that part, it was completely unscripted. They just kind of started asking questions, and I would kind of work through it with them. Yeah, it makes sense. So I'm I'm a little curious. Do you guys find that it's easier or harder to uh, do some of this training in person versus over the internet? I don't know if we have any overlap here, except for you. <laughs> People have done both. Yeah, I I find that. Uh, if you want my opinion, um, I find that in some ways it is easier to do it online and in some ways it's harder. The people who tend to come to you over the internet are people who in general are willing to go out and put forth the effort to learn it themselves. And so since they're kind of self-starters or whatever you want to call them, it's usually a little bit easier to just kind of get them going. Uh, the in-person folks tend to le- need a little bit more hand-holding. But at the same time, you also wind up... Uh, you know, you, you get that higher bandwidth communication in person. And so in, in that sense, it's a lot easier to put something across because you can literally grab the keyboard and say, well, I do this this way. Or, you know, open up the Rails console if you're teaching Ruby on Rails and say, you know, here's how, here's how the model's structured and look, here's the API for it and here's what it does. And you can just do it right in front of them. Um, and you can mostly do that online, but it's it's not the same as actually you know grabbing their computer and doing it in their environment, and and, well, and I think that's some of the trade off. You're also going to miss a lot of like the nonverbal communication. So like if you're teaching it live and you say, you know, refactor this with abstract method, and like you just see these glazed looks on their faces, you know, you need to explain something. Versus online, you might say that and not notice or get any kind of response and just plow through onto the next subject. And you, at that point, you lost the students. I do run Sorry. into that sometimes where I'll ask them, so does anyone have any questions? And I'll get silence. And then the next day or two, I, I'll i have a question come up from somebody. And it's like, you know, I never really got this. And Yeah, yeah so <laughs> like, I know this is painting with an extremely broad brush, but I find that my Israeli group's like they do not hold back. They will ask questions. They will interrupt me. They'll make it very, very clear where they don't understand things. The Americans I've spoken are way quieter, 
and the Chinese Groups Expo were even quieter than that. Like, oh, they just, wow. And so <laughs> the first time I taught an American group, I literally went through one day slides in half a day because I was banking on the fact that there would just be so, so, so many questions and interruptions and, well, what do you think about this in our company? Uh, so I've definitely learned to sort of adjust the number of slides and the amount of material based on the nationality and the culture. Yeah, and that's why I want to move more toward, in my case, move more toward the, the pre-recorded video for the, for the course material and then move, move more toward the Q&A and demo for the live section. And that way it's like, look, this is a Q&A. <laughs> you know, you mm. you are intended to Q so I can A, <laughs> if that <laughs> makes sense. That's a great point, that if you make it very clear this is the time to ask questions, they might be be more forthcoming. That's true. I think it's going to depend, too, on, I guess, their experience, right? I guess when you're teaching intro courses, they're not experienced. So they don't even know if the question is dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember even when I finished up my psychology degree, not a while ago, or a few years back when I was in, so I had to, I jumped in kind of halfway through the whole thing. And so I still had like a first year class to take in my last year and nobody would ask questions ever. And I was the only person who had my hand up. Like anytime there was anything, I'd stop the teacher. Hey, what about this? What about this? And in the upper level courses, like everyone was asking questions all the time. Yep. Well, it's also, I think confidence. I mean, if you know the material, but you might not know it as much as the teacher, you're more willing to kind of, you know, stand up and ask a question versus if you're a beginner, you don't know if the questions you're asking is really dumb. And so you're afraid and kind of have the self-esteem confidence things to work through. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are usually a few people, at least like one or two who are unafraid to ask questions and that can really help to break the ice uh, that if they're, if they're uninhibited about asking questions, they're not going to be embarrassed. Then other people are not going to be embarrassed either. And so that can really open it up. But I, I mean, I, I just sort of, uh, if I think about doing uh, pre-recorded videos, I'm sort of depending on or expecting the interaction with the students as part of the rhythm of the teaching. Uh, and so it seems like you know, recording something, I, I'll have to retrain myself. It's a totally different kind of paradigm. Yeah, the, it does affect the flow of the training a bit to have somebody actually, you know, in the mix asking the questions and kind of highlighting the things that, you know, you, you missed because, I mean, let's face it, you know, we we all kind of forget sometimes what it's like to be a beginner, um, it, especially at something at the level where we feel comfortable teaching. And so, yeah, it, it is really nice. But at the same time, um, you know, that's why I really feel like I want to couple the, you know, the pre-recorded stuff with the, you know, experienced mentorship. And that way the questions do get answered, but people can at least, you know, review the basics as many times as they need to in order to be able to get them. I, I really like that idea. Yeah. So that that's kind of the approach that I'm really liking. Um, Chuck, how much prep time do you find that you need for these courses? And And I realize that screencasting and video can consume an enormous amount of time as well above and beyond the teaching preparation. So there are a couple of things to be aware of in my particular case. And that is, is that right now I'm in my second pass through rails ramp up, which means that I've already done the prep. (laughs) Um, All I did was I added in the things that uh, were different in rails Four. you know, took out a few things, added a few things, but generally if I've put it off and sometimes I do, I'll admit this. If I've put off the preparation, I can usually prepare uh, for two hours of, of live teaching in about two hours. But, you know, again, 
I'm, I'm really counting on that high, you know, high visibility, high availability bandwidth to be able to, you know, stop and explain things if people have questions. And I do a ton of demo stuff and, uh, you know, I've, I've had people stop me and tell me, okay, I don't understand what you're doing here. And, you know, and, and that kind of thing to, to back me up and, and make me get to the point where I, um, explaining it in a way that they get it. And it's funny cause it's different for every group of students as well. You know, the things that they understand and don't understand already, but, uh, yeah, um, if I'm pre-recording it, generally it's a whole lot more because um, I'm sitting down and I'm trying to exhaustively cover something, and so I pre- prepare a bunch of notes. You know, here's what I want to explain. Here's here's the demo I want to do. You know, and and you know, get some more details because I want it to be really smooth and clear and clean so that they get the most out of the pre-recorded content because I realize that I'm not present when they're watching it to answer the questions they have. And uh, so usually that's probably four to six times as long as the video is going to be, at least. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, when I'm asked to do custom training stuff, I also usually estimate that it'll be about between half a day and a day of preparation for each day of training. And every so often people say, really? It takes you that long to prepare the slides? I'm like, boy, <laughs> the, the slides are the easy part, folks. <laughs> <laughs> like, the tough part is researching it, making sure I really crossed the T's and dotted the I's, coming up with exercises, um, yeah. you know, really preparing. And, and they're like, oh, we haven't really thought about that. <laughs> well, and, and even still, I mean, for me, if I were going to go and do a day of training in person at a company, I mean, that half a day, that would be on something that I know cold. I, I mean, I know it down cold. I don't need to really go and learn any of the idiosyncrasies of it because it's something that I do every freaking day. And um, so, you know, and, and that's just, you know, making sure that the, the one or two gaps in my knowledge, you know, things that I don't do every day are are understood so that I can teach them. But uh, if right. it's if it's a new topic, so, for example, if it were... Um, if they wanted me to do a few days of training on PostgreSQL, I mean, I can, I can get them through the basics, but, um, I don't think I could teach an exhaustive course on it. And so, I mean, I'd, I'd be spending probably a day to two days for every day of live training I was doing for on it. I mean, I can teach them enough so that rails can talk to it, but that's, you know, that's the extent of it. And I'd want to be, I want to, I'd want to be able to answer more exhaustive questions on it. Right. So anyway, um, We've been talking for almost our entire hour or so that we usually spend talking about this stuff. Are there any other things that we want to talk about or questions that you guys have um, about this kind of training and things before we move on? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very common for freelancers to, you know, for engineers to underprice uh, what we do. And it's very common also to, if you can teach something, they say, oh, it's easy, I'll just put it together. And so the combination of those two can lead you to really, really undercharge uh, for training. I used to, a number of years ago, charge exactly the same amount for consulting as I was for training. I was like, well, an hour of my time is an hour of my time. So who cares if I'm teaching or if I'm developing software? Uh, But the value added, if you're good at what you do, the value added that you're giving these companies is very, very high. And so... You should realize that you should check around to see what people in your area of the world are charging for training uh, and charge appropriately so that you don't uh, leave money on the table. And by appropriately, he means at least that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I, honestly, though, I, that that's been my experience. Is if if I'm really you know if I'm if I'm good at what I do, and I'm not trying to sound cocky here, but if if I'm if I'm a high end Rails developer and I'm a high end Rails trainer, then I should be able to charge at least what those folks are tra- charging. Yes, and, and if not, then you know, then yeah, I guess charge appropriately. But you know, I I really am not comfortable doing training on on things that I'm not really expert in. All right, well, let's go ahead and do the picks, Reuven, Why don't you start us off? All right, so I've got um, really just one pick for this week. I discovered I don't even know how, but uh, this guy named Joshua Clanton, who might be very well known for all I know, uh, he has this. Uh, weekly email newsletter called A Drip of JavaScript. And I've just read a few of the uh, episodes, a few of the mailings that he sent out, a few of the uh, posts that he's done, and I've really enjoyed it. I found it to uh, be very informative and enrich my idea of JavaScript. Okay, I'm getting a lot of ribbing here in the <laughs> in the chat room for having only one pick. Next week, I'll be back with 10. <laughs> anyway, that's it for this week. All right, Curtis, what are your picks? I'm going to pick uh, Sensei by WooThemes, and it's like a whole training plugin and package. It lets you do quizzes in the middle and other video stuff um, throughout your whole course and put prerequisites in if you want them to have like the 101 before they do the 102 course. And the second one I'm going to pick is the book that I just released last week. So I guess it'll be two weeks ago uh, called Don't Be an Idiot Learn to Run a Viable Business. Awesome. Eric, what are your picks? So uh, I think I mentioned this a long time ago when it first came out, but my pick is it's a program called Zite, uh, Z-I-T-E. Uh, it's for iOS and looks like Android also, but it's basically kind of like an aggregator that, you know, you say like, these are my interests and it gets you like news topics and stuff like that. And I've been using that heavily since basically Google Reader died um, because there's kind of a while there that I wasn't sure what you know, what RSS reader I was going to go to. So I was actually using Zite a lot just to kind of keep up on news. And it's a nice way if you don't want to like subscribe and get every single post for, you know, like one of my is have is entrepreneurship. Like I don't care about everything on every entrepreneurship blog, but the, the good ones end up coming into the Zite and I can read them in there. And so it's great for those, you know, two or three minutes of downtime you have here and there and you just feel like reading. Awesome. All right, well, I've got a couple of picks. One pick that I have is actually to unpick something, um, and these guys are all going to laugh when I say it, but uh, a few weeks ago I mentioned that I was probably going to be doing courses for Pluralsight, and they came back and gave me a no option to audition, um, reneged on giving me a contract offer. So anyway, yeah, so that didn't quite work out. I, I know that they do have good offering for their videos, but if you're looking for courses for me on there, it won't happen. So anyway, I do have a pick. Uh, this is an old game, but it's a game that I've been playing a little bit lately that I've got, and it's Civilization Four. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Other than that, uh, the only other pick I have that I've really been liking is called Discourse, and it's an open source, source forum software. Um, we moved... Ruby Rogue's parlay over to it. I'm trying to negotiate my way into a discourse forum for this show that's similar to parlay. Um, but it's really nice. It's really easy to manage. And uh, it, it, I think it's really kind of fostered some terrific conversations. So um, anyway, those are my picks. Um, we also have a book club and that is uh, book yourself solid by Michael Port. We're going to be talking to him at the end of this month. 
So uh, keep an eye out for that. It should come out around the 1st of October. And uh, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week.